You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Where? Christy, are you okay? Did you make it? Are you alright? I mean, uh, can we make it to the 602 Club? I know. What was that? I have no idea, but it was big. It was... It, 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 I, I, Did you I get bitten? I don't even know how to explain it. Did you get bitten? I got bitten on the back. <laughs> oh, that's... Oh... Oh, that's not good. I, I'm Christy. only bleeding a little. It's just a flesh wound, I swear. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, man. Well, welcome to the 602 Club. Christy and I have a lot of fun for you in store as um, we are going to be talking about Cloverfield, um, a movie from the mind of J.J. Abrams, but directed by, well, Apes director and upcoming The Batman director himself, Matt Reeves. Yeah, that same guy. So um, we're excited to be diving into this series together. Um, so, oh man, sorry, I was a little out of breath, you know. Whew. Goodness, running away from a giant monster will do that to you. <laughs> yeah, and those little face hugger flea things. Oh, those things are nasty. Yeah, it's funny is that those aliens sort of reminded me of the aliens from Starship Troopers. Yep, I thought of that as well. Yeah, yeah. So, well, before we completely get off the rails here, uh, the uh, the subway rails, uh, we would like to thank you for listening to the 602 Club. Make sure you find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, honestly, we're everywhere podcasts can be had. But if you're over on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate a star rating review. It helps people find the show. Uh, and, um, you know, uh Apple just kind of reworked uh, all of their uh, categories. And, uh, you know, right now, the 602 Club has been uh, in the top rankings for uh, film reviews. So, yeah, your reviews and ratings for the show would help that continue. So we'd really appreciate that. Uh, you can also uh, find us on Twitter at TrekFM or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. And then uh, we've got the listeners only discussion group on Facebook that you can find called the Babel Conference. Type Babel into the search field uh, there on Facebook. Or you can go to the website at Trek.FM. Uh, any of the show pages, there's a button that says discussion. And then uh, you can always send us an email. Go to Trek.FM slash contact. Choose a show. Choose... The 602 Club, and then that comes to Christy and I. And last but not least, we'd like to encourage you, uh, do please help us out with the network uh, over on patreon.com slash trek.fm. Uh, we would love your help. Um, there's no way that we can make uh, all of this come to you each and every week here on Trek FM, especially with all the new stuff that's coming for Star Trek with the new Picard show and so much mm -hmm. else. So uh, if you love the 602 Club and everything else we do, do here on uh, Trek FM, well, that only happens from listeners just like you supporting us. That's at patreon.com slash trek.fm. So, Christy. Yeah. This is an interesting monster movie. Um, 
And I thought it was really interesting kind of doing a little bit of research. And, and you know, J.J. Abrams came up with this idea, but he didn't direct the movie. Um, but he was in Japan uh, promoting Mission Impossible 3. And uh, he kind of dreamed up this idea of having a monster movie akin to, you know, King Kong and, and Godzilla. Um, and... So I think that that's just really interesting because, you know, those, especially Japan has that tradition of having those large monster movies happen. Mm -hmm. And we don't really have that tradition in the United States in the sense that, like, it happening here. So I thought it was really interesting, the idea of basically doing that, but, you know, in Manhattan. And, you know, it, there's been a couple other movies that have done things like that, um, sort of like the I Am Legend and stuff. Um, what if Manhattan was suddenly destroyed or under attack or whatever? So I like that um, change of location. Uh, I definitely think that it was a, a good idea from JJ's perspective, because the great thing about it is it's a really rich area to pull from. There's been so many kaiju movies made from uh, Japan that, you know, it, it's something that you could really just create constant new monsters and then change the location, but still go with the same formula. Um, so it, it was interesting that he wanted to go that route and it really works. So why not? Yeah. And I think it was really fascinating for him, too, was the idea of, you know, with those type of movies, you know, even if they're kind of being portrayed as the bad character you kind of love king kong and godzilla at this point now and so the idea he had for this movie was just to do something that was insane and intense and to have i think a monster that you don't know anything about and you definitely aren't gravitating towards as like oh look how awesome you know like there's nothing about this movie that makes you want to fall in love with this monster, you know, ruining Manhattan. Or have any kind of understanding moment of where the monster's motivations come from. I feel like you get that a lot with King Kong, you know, like especially the most recent one showing that Kong has feelings or that, you know, well, you guys disturbed him first. Um, But that's not the case with this one at all. They've totally demonized this monster. Yeah, and I mean... I think there's I think what's great about it is it just shows that there's still a place for that to have a movie like this where things are much more simple, you know, than to mm-hmm. try and give like I mean cuz you <laughs> for the most part you kind of think of like these type of of monsters or whatever and it reminded me of like the massive skull crawler from Kong Skull Island. Oh yeah. You know you know, that's that kind of monster. And so even in those movies, like you see that you have these evil monsters like that. And so that's, I think that's the thing that I, I really appreciated. Um, and also what was really interesting is, and we talked about this uh, because, you know, we had been covering the the monster movies that have been coming out recently, like, like Godzilla and Kong Skull Island and Godzilla King of Monsters. But, you know, this is a movie that's truly told from the perspective of the human beings and and we're not getting a monster perspective, which I think that was also smart to do it that way as well. 
Right. I love the the first person aspect of this. And, you know, like even Kong Skull Island, it was really more from a third person perspective, watching everything happen to the people. Whereas this is, you know, it's a guy holding a handy cam the whole time. Um, And even, you know, you realize at one point that he accidentally is taping the party over the footage of Robin, his ex-girlfriend. So I like that little piece they added. Um, But yeah, I I like that they changed the perspective up on you and then also didn't give you at any point. um, Like I said, that understanding of the monster's perspective, I guess. I think in many ways, you know, we've, we've come to this point where it's been done so many times now to try and um, I guess like humanize or, or just anthropomorphize, you know, these, these type of monsters or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, the, the idea of something so alien coming down and, and, or being here, I mean, that's the thing. We don't know anything about where this monster comes from. The the movie is not necessarily, it's really not about the monster. It's about these people's response mm-hmm. to this happening and making you feel like, you're in the situation along with them like it and to make it give you the sense of of like what you might do in this situation i don't know if i would have carried around the camera the whole time um (laughs) but you know somebody might have so i mean it's not that nothing in this movie is is that far-fetched in the sense of like the human reaction to what's going on right And I like even that it leaves so much open to question. I think some of the best movies ever made are ones where everything is not necessarily explained for you, that you walk away Mm -hmm. thinking, what would I have done in this situation? Yeah. Or what is the moral to the story? And I'll get to that later. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. Um, And I think, you know, it's it's so interesting because the... The, the way this movie is filmed was such a big part of the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, because they went with the whole found footage idea. And, I mean, just even it even played into the marketing of this movie. I mean, the marketing of this movie was just insane. You know, bringing that. Uh, I mean, that was almost a part of this whole thing was all of these viral tie ins that they were doing because social media was becoming a thing. Um, you know, the major characters even had MySpace pages back then. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, they're they're playing on this whole idea of this being a very real thing. Um, and, you know, with the Blair Witch Project hitting it big in 99, Paranormal Activity uh, in 2007, um, obviously that spawned more paranormal movies, too. Um, how did how did you feel like did did this work for you the way that you wanted it to? It's funny because I, I remember when this came out because um, I actually was leaving the country for six months <laughs> the month after it came out um, to go study abroad. But um, I did go and see it later after it actually came out on DVD. Um, once I got back, I never saw it in theaters. But I remember the warnings about possibly getting motion sickness from the filming. Um, and I remember people thinking at first it might be a documentary or that it was going to be about a natural disaster. And then it completely took you off in another direction and became a monster movie. Um, but I, I loved the uniqueness of the filming style more than anything else. I think it was perfect timing in our 
culture for it to be this kind of filming style. And then um, really plays off of uh, this quote that I love from the director, Matt Reeves, that um, he wanted it to be as if someone found a handy cam, took the tape out and put it in the handy cams player to watch it and see what was on the tape. Um, so it's like you're watching a home movie and then it turns into something else. Um, and, and that he really wanted it to reflect off of the, the fact that we document everything, which is funny now thinking that years later, we're still doing that more and more and more, you know, since Instagram has come out and YouTube has become like a career for people. Yeah, I think it's 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 interesting because in, in some ways the movie is kind of more relevant with the way that it handles this than it was then because, you know, uh, phones then were just being something that like people were sharing pictures with mm -hmm. because of like things like MySpace. Uh, and, you know, you couldn't take video like this on a phone uh, like you could today, you know, uh, where, right. I mean, we have people like filming things that get used on, you know, news broadcasts now, you know, from when you think of like a hurricane hits or, you know, you think of violence in a city or whatever, they're almost always showing somebody's, you know, video that they've taken on Instagram or like you were talking about on Twitter or whatever. So, you know, um, so this is sits in that really unique time where it's like we're getting there, but we're not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they're still using kind of the classic, you know, dad with the handy cam taking taking video. And I think it works really well, especially the way that they do that, where they have the thing like you mentioned that you're taping over something. So you're like... Mm -hmm. And it creates, and what's what makes it fun, obviously, is that it creates this whole story. But I, I do think it is kind of interesting, like, when you think about that idea of, like, this found footage or whatever, now we have found footage all over the internet. That's all it is these days, especially social media accounts. Right, like, like it's not as unique anymore. No, not at all. Like, I mean... Snapchat and Twitter and, and Instagram and Facebook and all of these um, these things that people are using. Um, MySpace is dead now, so <laughs> sorry, folks. But I just really, I, I think what is interesting about this movie is the way in which it's it's actually stayed kind of relevant in that sense, which is really, really fascinating. You, you just... You take the handy cam and turn that into an iPhone and this movie still could completely work, you know? Oh, yeah. And it, it does kind of feel like they've done that in some other movies since then with iPhones now. Um, nothing in particular comes to my mind right now, but, you know, you feel like you've seen that. And then even when they're filming with the handy cam, you see people trying to start using their phone to record some video. But it's still like you're saying when video on a phone was very short, um, was usually really grainy, you couldn't really zoom in or out very well, like, no one was really taking long videos, like they would with a ha camcorder handy cam. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you're and, and two, you just think of those, the phone, I mean, they even show some of the Nokia phones, you know, mm -hmm. um, that were popular back then. And, and just the amount of space that they had would, I mean, they just didn't have the storage space to hold a lot of video. Um, and especially any kind of like high definition video whatsoever, they just weren't there yet. So yeah, that this I think thing it works really well. I, it is funny because I mentioned like I don't know if I would carry the handy cam around the whole time. I also have to say the battery life in this handy cam is amazing. Right, like, 
just and <laughs> just insane. Um, I because I think there this video seems to last for you know like seven hours or more. Oh yeah, I mean possibly even like twenty four hours. Yeah. So I mean it's a long time. But you need to charge your phone, just not the camera. Yeah. No, the camera's good. No, that battery lasts forever, man. So. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. No, there I, are some things like that that's like a, a common sense thing that you're like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you would need to charge it or replace the battery at some point. And if you're jumping from one building to the building leaning on it, you may not have the camera in your hand making sure you're filming the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like that might... It just might not be the wisest move um, to have one hand, you know holding a camera i'm just saying Mm -hmm. um but you know i think that's the thing that is kind of interesting is is how the story they weave with the characters who just kind of get caught up in this cataclysmic event like for them this is this was just a normal day they're gonna have a party for their friend who's leaving and they all get roped into this because there isn't i mean they don't have a choice you know um monsters attack new york you know Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean if the movie hadn't been cleverly called something you know like cloverfield which you know sounds like a a government um you know cover name Mm -hmm. for something um it would have been funny for this movie to be named just something ridiculous like monster attacks you new york you know like super cheese ball because that's kind of what the movie turns into right like this oh yeah very i don't know if cliched is the word but it like it has all the hallmarks of of a good monster attack movie um, stuff we've and, seen before yeah so um yeah what did you think of of the story that we get with these characters that kind of weave in and out with uh, a monster destroying new york I think for the most part, the the casting was really good with this because I don't think you could have necessarily had um, somebody like a a well-known actor like Tom Cruise, for example, since we talked about Mission Impossible 3 before, Um, because of the kind of movie it's supposed to be. You really want to get invested in what's happening to the people rather than thinking, oh, it's Tom Cruise. I love that guy. Um, so I like that aspect of it kind of being lesser known or unknown people. Um, and then I, I like that they really weave this story through um, the action and and no real exposition ever. Everything is in the moment you're going along for the ride rather than telling you, you know, um, July 4th. 2000 uh monster attacks setting new york you know yeah i think i think the thing that i I, you know one of the interesting parts is i've seen this movie before i saw it when it came out in the theater and i remember being decent i mean i i guess i liked it and and you know to me it seemed kind of like an average movie but uh re-watching it i was actually somewhat impressed with the way that the movie creates the story for the characters and like you said it never stops really to uh tell you the story except for you know the few parts where they kind of interrupt with the other video Mm -hmm. um the the video you're taping over and so it's at those moments where you get the opportunity to kind of uh 
piece together a little bit more uh, of what's going on uh, and what the backstory is for all of this. But, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about because is this is a movie that's about, you know, kids that are around my age who have kind of gotten out of college and they're, they're all moving on to the next level of life, you know, and you know, that next level is like getting that job somewhere that may cause you to move that, you know, you, you, you're far away from your friends and all and having to deal with all those ramifications. And a lot of these characters dealing with that because they're, you know, friend Rob is going to leave mm-hmm. to go to Japan because he got the big job that he's been wanting, you know? And so, um, you know, that storyline I think is, is a, is a really interesting storyline. And then you're dealing with the ramifications of what that means for all the people that are around him. Like the girl that he's always liked, you know, his, his best friend, you know, um, his best friend's girlfriend, who you know, like his um, brother, his brother, yeah, you know, so all of, all of that stuff, um, I really, I just, th- I thought it was good stuff. Like it was a good, st- that all the, the people that they chose and the storytelling um, and the way that they wove it all together with the different characters and how they all came to play into the story, I thought it worked really, really well. Um, and it actually worked even better this time Um than it did the first time I saw it. I just, I, the storyline ended up working much better for me than I remembered. So I was really appreciative of that because I think what's fascinating is you, you, I never feel like this. Yes, it's a monster movie, but I, I don't care as much about the monster in the movie. I, I, I'm, I'm actually on the ride with these human beings hoping that they can get the heck out of Dodge. Right. Like, I feel like you're on the edge the entire time waiting for the next shoe to drop. And mm-hmm. and it's one of those movies where I totally start yelling at the TV like, no, turn to the left. Why are you going that way? Why is he going back for Beth? She's probably already dead. You know, <laughs> like, I, I love it for that reason. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and I thought what was great about that too, story-wise, is there weren't as many times where I was thinking that to myself. There was only one moment where I was truly thinking that, and it's where uh, Marlena has been bitten, mm-hmm. and they're just in that room, and there's all of this stuff that they could be using to like bandage up her shoulder and tie it off and everything, and they don't do that to her at all, really. Like, I was just like, why aren't you doing that? You know, she's bleeding out of these wounds. It seems like it would only be responsible with apply some pressure on those wounds and try and tie them up as best as possible. So she's not going to die from, you know, bleeding to death. So mm-hmm. that was the only time in the movie I felt like really it it's like they hadn't thought of maybe a detail. Yeah. You know, but the rest of the time I felt like the, the storyline actually did a pretty good job of um, of them thinking of a lot of those details so you weren't stopping to be like, well, why aren't they doing this? Right. You know, I mean, once you accepted that they were going to go get Beth, which, you know, I can I can accept them, somebody, you know, doing that. Mm-hmm. There wasn't much else in the movie where I was like, oh, now that's just the dumbest thing I've ever seen, you know, like, except for maybe, you know, using the camcorder as you cross buildings. But yeah. Well, I will say the one thing that kind of bothered me because my husband and I have noticed this sometimes in other movies is for some reason they feel like 
in movies, it's completely like suspending your disbelief to say, well, we need to get Beth out of here. So even though there's a metal rod running straight through her body, um, we'll just pull her off of it and she'll be fine and won't bleed to death. I, I said that to to my wife. I said, you know, I know enough from Grey's Anatomy that you don't right. just pull a, a a rod like that out of because it's the thing that's keeping everything from bleeding out. Right. The way so it's lodged in there. Cut, yeah. You would have to cut that pole and there's nothing for them to cut that with. Um, so, yes, uh, that was another moment where it's like, yeah, she's she would probably bleed out because of where that pole hit her, which is close enough to where her heart is, but it's not where her heart is, mm-hmm. or she'd just be dead. Um, but yeah, it, if you pulled that out, everything that was being held in place and being kept from bleeding out would just start to bleed, and you wouldn't be able to stop it without surgery. So Right, and then they're like, no, she's fine now. Yeah, <laughs> and then of course, yeah, she's running with them, so... Yeah. Yeah, th- there are a, there are a couple of moments where there are some things that are a little bit over the top, but then you know a monster is attacking New York, so I guess if you want to talk over the top, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I will say too, I feel like the the situation, other than the monster part, is relatable for so many people because who hasn't been through, um like a a natural disaster or maybe not even that bad, but you know, like a a power outage. It's one of those things where it's like thinking to yourself, how would I respond in that situation? How do humans respond in groups when there is a disaster or, um, you know, adverse weather or whatever? Um, Because like even here, you know, where I live one time, (laughs) It's sort of like a running joke, but the blizzard of 93 was a thing. In Georgia, we don't usually get snow. And then suddenly in 1993, when I was only a few years old, we had a legit blizzard and people did not know what to do. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and it's I mean, I think what's interesting for me in this movie is that the storyline, you know, when when this movie came out it was 2008 and you know this is taking place in new york and a lot of the scenes actually are reminiscent of footage that you will see from the aftermath of 9-11 of after buildings have fallen the amount of dust in the air yeah people um, coughing from the smoke and yeah coughing from the smoke i mean so that was what was interesting to me is just how this movie had to have triggered that kind of feeling because kind of what I mean when you think about the story in many ways it's similar I mean the the alien attack is is a lot like the sneak attack of 9-11 where you know planes just start falling it flying into the World Trade Center and like they fall and it just you know everything changes you know and this is very is much like that in some ways I mean it's bigger in scale because obviously this monster destroys more um, than just two buildings, he destroys a lot more buildings. And but you're right. You know. I mean, it was like that feeling that something like that was just never even thought of as a possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Until suddenly the glass was shattered in in your mind, watching this happen on TV and going, "How? Why? What did we do to deserve this?" You know. And so I, I do um, 
think that it's definitely relatable in that sense and that it was only seven years after. Which is, is a little crazy because um, I, was, I was just thinking about that last night watching. I was like, wow, this just reminds me of some um, footage. I, I, I remember a few years after that 9-11 had happened, uh, I came home and my mom was watching this documentary thing where they had taken all this footage um, that they had compiled from like people um, you know, during nine eleven, and mm-hmm. so it was like being able to watch the whole day through found footage, which was insane. Um, so it just reminded me very much of that fact of the people, you know, supplying the footage that they had taken, and it's, a lot of it looked like this. So mm-hmm. not people running towards like a monster, but you know, just the just the buildings falling and the smoke in the air and all that, and stuff. the panic very, and shock and yeah, stuff. yep, yep. The panic and yes, absolutely. So, yeah, weird to think in a monster movie would. Uh, and and I just thought of this. Duh, the reason that this story makes more sense too. You know, Godzilla was always uh, a movie for the atomic age about you know what had happened with the the atomic bombs being dropped in Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, this movie feels reminiscent then for us as Americans of. You know, a monster attacking New York, right? So, I mean, it it makes sense that this this would be something that that um, would go along with the anxiety of our time. You know, uh, because two thousand nine, we're still feeling that anxiety from eight years ago. So, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. What did you think of um, the cast? Uh, and did anybody uh, stick out to you that you really liked in the movie? Well, I am a big Lizzie Kaplan fan. <laughs> so yeah, she's pretty great, actually. Yeah, her as Marlena, uh, I was definitely on board. Um, and then, you know, I loved her later in stuff like My Best Friend's Girl or like, even though it's not a great movie, Failure to Launch. Um, she's just one of those like great. She's in Mean Girls, too, and Orange County. Well, so. that's true. I forgot about those two. Um, but she she's a great um side character but could could be a leading lady at some point i think but uh i think she's really good at conveying especially these um more dramatic scenes or like the the darker side of situations um so i I thought that she was really great at at getting across her character of marlena is just she's kind of there um on the periphery of Rob's life because she's like, yeah. I think we met three times and I was drunk every time. Um, so you get that kind of person being like, I don't even know why I'm here. And then suddenly she's wrapped up in all of this with these people that she barely knows and they just kind of have to go about it together anyway. No, I, I agree. I liked her character a lot. Um, it was interesting because I realized watching the, the show that I know Jessica Lucas and Odette Yutzman, uh, both of them have been in superhero shows. Um, Jessica Lucas was on Gotham. Oh, nice. And then Odette was in Supergirl, played the villain uh, two years ago now, I guess, in Supergirl's uh, second season. So uh, it's funny that I've no- I'm like, I know these people. Um, and I really actually, um, uh, Jessica Lucas was great in Gotham, and I really enjoyed her here. Um just some of the moments that she has with the different people, especially after, um, you know, uh, Jason has died Mm -hmm. and they have that her and her and Rob have that moment 
was really cool. Um, and of course, you know, she also has that same moment um, with uh, HUD after, you know, spoiler alert, Marlena blows up. Um, right. So I, I thought that she was really great. And, you know, she's the only one that survives. Wait, that uh, Jessica is the only one that survives? Yeah, because uh, Lily is the only one that survives. She gets on the other chopper and they That's leave, right. remember? Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, I just thought that, yeah, those, I really enjoyed both of those because I thought, um, yeah, she was, they, they were really good. So, um, and you know, and then, I mean, it's kind of hard not to like TJ Miller. Uh, he, he's just doing his normal <laughs> shtick, honestly, at this point. So, and for me now, like, he's most memorable from this movie and then from um, Ready Player One, the movie. Um, but I, I like TJ Miller's voice, although I've heard lately he's been in some legal trouble. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny is that he's so, I, I honestly find him so similar to, I mean, I would say he's like a poor man's Ryan Reynolds, you know, like he has the same type of sense of humor. Oh and yeah. So, I get what you're saying. Yeah. He also reminds sense, me like of that's... Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, I, no, I think, though, you know, the cast does a, a good job throughout, the, throughout all of this movie kind of selling everything that they're doing. And for the most part, uh, they all feel realistic. I think the only one that probably feels the least realistic is, is probably HUD because he's the camera guy, one. Um, but two, he... I think some of his snarky and witty comments while they're almost dying um, seem a little bit unrealistic for somebody to be that smart commented while almost dying. Um, Right, like when they're walking through the tunnel. Yeah, yeah, I just... uh, But otherwise, I mean, I I enjoy... I think the thing, like you said, you, you find relatively unknown people at this point or people that have just been in smaller things and then that allows them to um, be the characters there so you're not ever pulled out of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because they're somebody famous. And that way, too, um, you truly do fear who's going to die because you're not like, oh, well, that person's Tom Cruise, so they're not going to die in this movie. Right. No, no. Clearly the hero or something. people can die. Yeah. Uh, by the way, did you see the um, people that were party goers that happened to be bigger name people? I did not catch that, but I wasn't paying as much attention to them. Um, and part of that is the camera work in the movie. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah, I did not realize that, but I, I, I can't. Knowing that this is JJ, um, I'm not surprised that lots of people just showed up as cameos. So So I kind of have a crush on um, a certain actor who appears as a party goer, Theo Rossi. Mm. He's Shades later in Luke Cage. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We saw him. Yes. And I was like, hey, it's Shades. Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, yes. I I totally have a thing for Theo Rossi. <laughs> yeah, he that was that was really funny. Uh, and part of that was just like seeing the the small world. Like, oh yeah, that guy, that guy. Which is a yeah, which is another thing where it's like where you're not pulled out of the movie because you know, like now you might be because you're seeing a character that you know from Luke Cage, right? 
Uh, whereas, you know, before that, I can't think of anything that, you know, would have made somebody think, oh, that's, you know, so-and-so. So Right. So there are a couple of people like that that I'm like, I've got to go back now and see what that actor's name is. Because, like, there was someone else that, if you've ever watched the show Grace and Frankie, uh, one of the guys from that show is in this movie. Um, oh, that's funny. So I, I, I like the Easter egg things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the only thing that kind of bothers me, aside from the Rod through Beth situation, um, was that sometimes with the the filming, but I know it's designed to be this way since it's supposed to be found footage, sometimes the filming annoyed me as a, a viewer who, uh, if I'm supposed to be along the, for the ride with them, it's those moments where like, if my husband was holding the camera, I would be going, no, turn it more to the left. You're not getting all of the picture or, you know, like stop focusing on Marlena. You're supposed to be filming Lily talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, dad, no, I, use the camera. I understand right. completely. And, and I do think I, I feel like this movie actually is one that kind of works a little bit better uh, on the smaller screen just because of the, how, you know, I mean, if you don't like shaky cam, probably not going to like this movie right. because that's all it is. So, uh, Steve Glosson, don't watch. So. <laughs> what did you think about the ending of this story and how, I mean, nobody that we've been following other than, you know, the Lily Ford character lives like everybody else dies. <laughs> and even then it's like you think she lives. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he. I mean, the monster could have hit her helicopter. You don't know. I hate to bust your bubble. He, he might have. That's true. I'm going <laughs> to say that she lived, though, so stop it. In in Matt's head canon, Lily lives. Yes. Lily lives! <laughs> uh, hashtag Lily lives. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't know. It's like you could completely look at it one of two ways. You could either think, wow, everybody dies, so who's left to find this footage and watch it? Or you could choose, like, I'm choosing to see the glasses half full and think, yeah, a lot of people died, but there's still hope that, you know, somebody did get out in time, maybe Lily, and um, ended up finding the camera and they figured out a way to stop the monster somehow or prevent another one from coming you know, something like that. It it leaves so much open to guessing. I like that kind of ending. Um, it, at least in my mind, that's what's happening off screen. I think the thing that makes it strong is because that they don't feel like they have to keep anybody alive. Yeah. You know, and you can have a movie where everything goes wrong and everybody dies pretty much. And um, it, it was more about being a part of the experience with them than it is necessarily about the the living for the, for the characters to live and so i think i think there's there's something nice about that that they didn't feel like they had to go hollywood uh, like oh these characters have to live because i mean there is a point there near the end where you're thinking Okay, Rob's found Beth. They're going to make it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, but then they don't make it, you know? And I think it, it creates a, a, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about the realism of the movie. And I think 
in many ways that makes this movie a monster movie more realistic is that no everybody dies <laughs> right <laughs> that yeah that just makes more sense or and i mean that like they don't want it to be this traditional and then they got away and lived happily ever after kind of thing um that too if it's supposed to be reflective of like what had been happening in current events and you know maybe um post 9-11 that not everything is suddenly okay right so I, I like it from that perspective of being somewhat realistic um and that it like you said they didn't it, it's not a an individual character's story i think that's what they're really trying to tell you through the writing and directing of this movie was that it's like we've said before about going along for the ride and like what if you were part of this mm-hmm. And not really giving anybody the role of the hero or the villain or whatever other than the monster. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you you mentioned something I thought was really interesting, too, just about how the the, the moral of the story for the, the movie, you know, is to be about, you know, living the movie. Uh, to to be just living in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 not to just be filming it all the time. It, it reminds me of, uh, you know, John Mayer's "No More Three by Fives song. You know, like that. I'm not going to be sending you pictures. I'll tell you the story uh, when I get home. Uh, I, I'm not going to be looking at my my life through the frame of three by five. I want to experience life, you yeah, know, as it's coming at me. And I think. There is really something to that, and especially when we live in a world where, you know, our our iPhone is about the size of a three five by five. Our smartphones. Oh yeah, and we seem to live most of our life in that that view, and like we need to have a larger view of the world. We need to get our head out of our iPhones and into the world. And so I think that's a definitely a great message. Yeah. It- and I especially kind of got that when um, Jason and Rob, you know, their brothers are sitting on like the fire escape talking about Rob's relationship with Beth. And Rob's just making excuses and going, well, I'm leaving for Japan. How would I be able to make anything work with her anyway? I might as well not even try. And Jason's like, if you love her, then, you know, you need to go and tell her how you feel that you need to do it now. Because after you leave for Japan, it may be too late. That it, like you need to seize the moment and tell someone how you feel, or you know that whole thing of tell your family that you love them every chance you get. Because tomorrow is not promised, and I, I like that really as like the big thing to take away. Aside from you know what we were saying about being in the moment, but also um, that life is short, and that um, you need to realize what matters i think in many ways that specifically that generation to uh you know and and i'm speaking to one that's close to my own very close to my own is it's just that we kind of stopped feeling like it was okay to tell people how we felt about them and like take the risk of saying come with me wherever i'm going you know like yeah um and uh, yeah, I think this is definitely a movie about, you know, pers- two people who loved each other and then weren't willing to take the risk to actually 
ask the big question, hey, will you go with me? Will you, will you, will you, do you love me enough to try this? You know, and, and there's a big risk in that. And, um, you know, it's interesting because the whole movie then is about Rob taking this ginormous risk to go save Beth, mm-hmm. you know, because he loves her. And so I think there's, there's a real, um, there's a really good lesson in there for us uh, in this movie, which is great. You know, I think uh, sometimes we just need to have uh, a stupid monster movie help us to be a little bit f- reflective on uh, the life that we lead. And honestly, you know, a life lived not, you know, spent through the, the lens of, of a smartphone and one that is willing to, to take those kind of risks is a, is a much better life. Amen. So if you were going to uh, rate this movie, Cloverfield, what do you think you would rate it, Christy? Oh, I don't think I know. And this is a big deal because I, I'm, I think, sometimes a tough rater depending on the movie. But I give this a 9 out of 10. Mm, nice. Uh, let's see. Hmm, what do I want to use? Uh, nine out of ten phone chargers. Nice. <laughs> because I just keep thinking about the scene of him <laughs> going, yes. no, dude, you don't yes. need to charge your phone right now. Um, yeah, I think uh, for me, this uh, this was like uh, a five out of ten movie for me the oh. first time. But I think okay. it actually moved up to being a seven out of ten because I really enjoyed this movie uh, a lot more. It, it might be more like a 6.75. Um, and part of that is just because this isn't a movie that I could watch a lot because of the the filming style. Like it's, I just, mm-hmm. I'm not going to spend a lot of time watching this movie like that, uh, or because of that. But I really liked this movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot more than I remembered that I did, which is always nice. And I felt like, you know, the things that we were able to kind of talk about with the movie um, were great. I mean, I love that, you know, we can pull those kind of themes out of a movie this dumb, you know, like it's right. just a big dumb movie, <laughs> you know, but there were things in it that they really, um, I think that they did well, which is excellent. So that's my favorite thing uh, watching a film now. Before we tell you uh, where you can find us online, we're going to start a brand new segment here Woo! on the 602 Club. Um, we thought might be fun as we're almost 250 episodes into the show of recommendations. Um, now, those recommendations could be things that we think you should watch, or maybe it's things we watched and we recommend you don't watch. So, uh, Christy, what would be your recommendation for the week? My recommendation this week is to watch Glow Season 3. Actually, you should start with Season 1 and then work your way up if you haven't seen it yet. But The Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, it's a Netflix original show, actually inspired by a real show from the 80s that was of women wrestlers um, by the same name. So uh, it's interesting because it made me go back and look at the history of wrestling that I've become a fan of uh, in the last few years. And uh, it's just another thing I'm kind of a nerd about now. Um, My husband and I love to watch WWE together. So don't kill me, but I love it. Hey, you know what? Love what you love when it comes to geek stuff. So (laughs) Um, I have recently uh, a friend of mine uh, while we were at... uh, 
camp. Um, we were at youth camp for the kids from church, and we were talking about animated shows, and I had mentioned that I'd never seen Avatar The Last Airbender, and somebody bent my ear backwards because of it, basically, and said that I should watch it. So, um, I decided that I would see if I could find it anywhere, and it's not anywhere streaming, but I found a great deal on Amazon. I got the entire series for 25 bucks on Blu-ray, and I have been watching it, and I am in season one, and I have to say, I'm really enjoying Avatar The Last Airbender, so I'm excited to continue with the show uh, and uh, get through season one. And yeah, it's I'm I'm really enjoying it. Uh, and of course, if anybody knows me too, you know I'm so much of a fan of the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only Dave Filoni. And Dave Filoni was actually involved with the first season as oh. a director uh, for Avatar: The Last Airbender, which is really cool. So, yes, very much enjoying going back and getting into this. Uh, and if I continue to like it, I'll. Uh, Check out Cora, the next series that comes after this one. So, yeah, it's really good. So that's my recommendation for the week. Awesome. With those recommendations, Christy, if anybody would like to talk to you about your recommendation or find out what else you're doing online, where can they catch up with you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at BespinBell. And uh, when I'm not on those places, I'm also uh, in the Babel Conference. So if you ever want to have a long chat, um, I know Tim Hands and I end up talking a lot about all the Bond stuff. So uh, anytime you guys want to chat with me, I'm there too. Uh, And I also, in addition to the 602 Club, do a show every other week. Uh, We were recently on a break, but we're back now uh, called Sabres and Spells with my friend Teresa Delgado, where we talk about... uh, geek stuff um in particular more with star wars harry potter and um things of that nature but recently we decided we were gonna get into stranger things so we're gonna do that next uh, i'm also on once a month a show called planet leia on the Fantatrax network which is perspectives of women around the world on star wars and then uh Every now and then, I would say once a month, I do a segment called Fashion in Five on the Star Wars Report call, uh, about men's and women's Star Wars fashion. Man, you said every now and then, and all I could think of was, every now and then I get a little bit restless. <laughs> and the it's a good song. Goodbye. Turn around. Anyway, uh, nobody needs to hear me sing that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero under the name MattRushing02. Uh, you can also find me here on the network uh, doing The Orb with Chris Jones, talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We do hope to be back soon with an episode to talk about the new uh, documentary, What We Left Behind. Uh, very excited to be able to do that, hopefully as soon as possible when we can find the time. It's just tough for us to get together with our schedules uh, uh, across the world. So you can also find me on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One is Owl Post with Drea Kaufman talking about the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. We, as of this recording, only have two... Yeah, I think it's two chapters left of The Order of the Phoenix, which that's really exciting. So we're about to wrap that up. And then you can also find me doing Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills where we talk about Star Wars each and every week. So if you are a Star Wars fan, I highly encourage you to check it out. It is kind of the place to be. Uh, And then last but not least, I'm doing a really fun show with my good friend Courtney called Cinema Stories, and that's where we talk about films, but we do that through the lens of faith. Uh, And we recently just uh, hit up the OG Lion King, so check that out. 
But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? hear?